Infirmary Media. What's up, Dueling Decades? This is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s or the 80s? Beanie Babies or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney, maybe Whitney. Do you like new metal or new wave? Dave Grohl or Super Dave? I don't know, but now the battle begins. Dueling Decades. Let's see who wins. Dueling Decades. Not even supposed to be here today. Fuck! Not even supposed to be here today. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Oh, fuck you. Welcome back to the program, fellow poopers. It's episode 92 of the Raw, Raunchy, and Riotous Roundtable, the Poop Culture Podcast. This week, we are privileged to be joined by actor, director, and not to mention diehard New York Rangers fan, the one and only Mr. Brian O'Halloran. I am Mark James, and filling out your ear holes are the rest of this gnarly crew, Rick Mancrush, Eric Mocker, and Shaw Bag Six. Gentlemen, good evening, and how you be? Good, good. Thanks for coming on, Brian. Not at all. Thanks for having me. You're a big Rangers fan, as Mark and myself are also big Rangers fans. The whole uh, the Shattenkirk signing, it's the tits, right? I mean, are you pretty excited about that? Yeah, I'm very excited about that. Um, I think uh, Shattenkirk gives us a level of <clears throat> confidence on the blue line now uh, of, a, of a really good shooter, uh, setup man for you know the uh, power play, and an overall big body that can actually uh, they can play do some damage here. Yeah, no kidding. And then the thing that I find cool is you do these cons and stuff, the whole geek side of it. It's like his name is part William Shatner and half Captain Kirk. Like you really can't beat that. That's pretty awesome. True. It is a, It is the weird kind of love child of uh, the ego <laughs> that is Shatner. That would be awesome. Do you think they'll get a cup before Hank calls it quits? Well, I don't think Hank has much farther to go. I say he's got two more, three more years. If yeah. that... Um, so uh, if they move it around, they've gotten a lot younger with the moves that they did, uh, getting rid of Girardi, uh, buying him out. We, I loved Girardi when he was here. I'm, I'm sad to see him Same. go. Uh, but his body is starting to break down, um, and uh, we're needing to get younger. Uh, the big surprise was Klein retiring. I didn't expect that at all. Nope. Um, there must have been some sort of injury that was uh, in a level of uh, non-rehabilitation or rehabilitation not to the point where you could actually be more competitive as you are so that was the surprise for me on that time but i'm uh i'm interested to see how this is going to work it's going to be a lot younger of a team um we now have a new bench coach as well so that'll be interesting to bring in him and see how he uh, adds his experience on the bench does it scare you though now that ranta has been traded like you said like hank's just kind of on his way down I think he's played like 720 games somewhere around there. And Richter only played like 699. So we're already past that point. Now we don't have anybody backing him up. And Ranta did great the last two years. So that scares me. I have a funny a feeling um, that Ranta has an injury from his last injury that's not getting him back to 100%. Um, mm. I think the Rangers staff saw that. And I thought they were seeing that move as an essential move. We have this Russian kid in our minor league system who's coming up. Right. Really, really good. Um, And I can see him being on the fast track of going through uh, and getting up to the majors here soon. Um, I think who we've picked up is a good cover for now. 
Um, I don't think I, I don't see him being the final backup by the end of this season. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. And I also I've seen you uh, at some of these cons wearing like Mets jerseys. Are you also a Mets fan, or you just like the jersey? No, I'm a, I'm a Mets fan. As well. <laughs> it's sad. It is sad. To it be is Mets sad because I'm a Ranger, Met, New York Jet football. Oh my fan. God, you're like me, dude. And New York fan. We are like glutton for punishment. I know pain and disappointment. It's <laughs> <laughs> like Rick's gonna start filleting. Oh my God, dude! Like a New Yorker, and Ben's gonna have a heart attack because he's a Boston fan. <laughs> yeah, he's a you know, he's a Pats He's fan. had to sit through this Rangers talk just for a few minutes. He's like, ah, these Bruins are pouring out of them. Yeah, you know? yeah, it sucks. This is a tough year, man. This is the year that I thought the Mets were gonna take it to the next level, and of course, you know, Thor goes down early, and basically there's a season, and then just one after another, they all go down. And now they're like, what, seven games behind 500, a million games out of first place. Yeah. I, and I think um, it was said quite eloquently by um, Ron Darling said it best when uh, Giselle Nick uh, blew out his hammy running to first after hitting a hit. Uh, these trainers are not training these pitchers correctly. And yeah. I think the, uh, the yeah. this era of only throw 100, 100 oh, plus bullshit. bullshit. Plus bullshit all the time is a is a is a bullshit kind of move i think uh back in the day when i remember nolan pitchers going entire games they weren't getting injured yeah you saved those 90 mile an hour pitches as your closing pitch not as your everyday pitch. and so it's it's really sad to see these young talent really great talent blow out shoulders blow out elbows blowing out you know the muscles and stuff and so i I think it's a i think there needs to be a new school of training and Ron Darling nailed it great like a week and a half ago. And so, uh, and I agree. I, I've been saying that for a while to my friends. So, yeah, for sure. I remember as a kid, I think it was Nolan Ryan's seventh no hitter. It was his last one. He had to be like 43, 44. And anyway, I remember it was like 130 pitches. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody does that. Terry Collins would have yanked that guy in the fourth yeah. inning. With a no hitter, he would have yanked. I can't. <laughs> it's about Terry's got to go. It's about placement and movement of the ball, getting to locations. You know, you throw the fast brushback pitch to then hit him with a slow curve on the outside corner. It's those type of you know. It's teaching that strategy. Either either a the young talent doesn't want to hear it, um, or b the trainers just don't know how to to get them to throw more movement or teach them more movement rather than just fireball, fireball, fireball. You know, these young dads see their sons throwing really hard and straight. They're like, oh, my God, I'm going to be a millionaire off my son and just only teach him that when that's not it. If you can teach him a great curveball, a great uh, changeup, and an amazing you know, fastball, and then just move them, do the exact yep. same three pitches, but just place them in different spots, you yeah. will be making a career for a long time. I mean, look at Cologne. Perfect, perfect Cologne. example of what you're saying, though, is Matt Harvey right now. Right, but Cologne. Yeah. Cologne may oh, have yeah. a yeah. long career by moving the ball, not by yep. blowing it by people. Right. And he started out like that. He used to blow it by guys, and then he just was crafty, except for this year. This year, he was a dumpster fire. But Oh, let, let's move on. My God, I could talk about this all day, but the people that listen to this podcast will be like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, sitting in the studio here, I do have a clerk's action figure in the studio that I picked up at Terracon of all places uh-huh. in Rhode Island. Uh, sadly it's a Randall doll. And, uh, you know, <laughs> but I will say that the Randall doll was on sale for $5 and they didn't have one Dante 
So that must mean like all yours must have sold out. Yeah. Yes, I was told by the graffiti people themselves. I know the owner of that company who made those. And I always said to him, I said, look, man, are you making more batches of these? He's like, no, man, you sold out pretty quickly. I was like, wow, really? He goes, yeah. So um, as, as far as I know, that whatever's out in the market is out on the market. If you can, if you find them somewhere, they're rare now. They're, wow. they're starting to be hard to find. And they're awesome. They're in these big cases, yep. which is rare. They're not in like some small dinky case. And Oh, you're talking about the new black and white one, the big Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, the other ones you can't find anywhere that you're talking about. The graffiti ones, are those are gone. Right. Just, just speaking of the cons, like we met you at Comic-Con just, what, three weeks ago. Right. Uh, you know, that was a blast. We had a great time. We had a booth for the first time there. But you do these things all the time. But I don't know how the hell you do it, though, man. Because, like, after one day, we had a whole episode about this. And after one day, I was fucking spent. How do you do, like, a multiple-day con and just get through it? You have to deal with us, like yeah. assholes like <laughs> us who come up to you. Yeah, no. First of all, I mean, I'm in one location, so I'm not walking the whole con the entire time. Uh, plus, I'm a big nerd fan of other people who are there as well. You know, um, uh, there are times where I get to have lunch or whatever with some other of the celebrity guests. And it's, you know, surreal to me that I get to have kind of conversations, just regular kind of conversations, while fans are like, oh, my God, I loved you in such and such. Remember that episode <laughs> when you did such and such? And, and I, don't ha- I don't have to do that. I don't have to be that way. So, in a way... Meeting other guests, I'm a nerd as well. I'm just, by the grace of God, been in a bunch of really great films that I'm on that side of the table as opposed to being on the other side, which I used to go to conventions when I was younger as well. So um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it gets me to travel. Uh, a lot of the times it's the travel that I enjoy. Yeah. Like I, I, I leave tomorrow for Raleigh, North Carolina for Raleigh Supercon. And then two weeks later, I'm in Fort Lauderdale for Florida Supercon. And then um, I'll be going eventually to Oklahoma City and Nashville and a few other places. So the towns themselves are always a lot of fun. I bet. We actually, this was a table that we had. This was the first time we had a booth. We always did it as fans. Mm -hmm. And this was the first time that we had a booth and we had people coming up to our booth. Probably not anywhere close to what you get. Because I was actually pulling people to our booth. A lot more. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But you do like a circuit of these things. It, it's almost like you're like uh, like a band on the road. You do so many of these. Yeah, um, it, it was really funny. Uh, oh, Hurley said it. We're like a band of traveling actors in a repertory <laughs> putting on the same circus of a show from city to city. Because we will see the same people, not the exact same people that go to show to show, but it, it's tight. the same mix of like 30, 40 guests that eventually you take that random a bunch and they meet up again and meet up again and and like I said, it's a lot of fun, and we sh- we swap stories of different in- you know things and stuff. But a lot of the time, the guests are always like, "What's the best restaurant to go to in town?" Or, hey, man, is there a speakeasy, speakeasy or something? So we try to take advantage of that type of stuff. Like when I was up time traveling, right? No, they're back up, man. I'm telling you, there's a bunch of them actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you know Sean Gone from Guardians? Of course not. We don't get to know the speakeasy. He he loves going to speakeasies and finding out where they're at. That's that's freaking crazy. So you're you're on the road a fair amount. So I'm I'm sure you have a shit ton of stories from the road. And we when we get bands on here all the time, they always dodge this question from us. We always ask them, "Hey, you guys are touring all the time. Tell us a crazy story from the road or whatever." And they always give us some kind of like lame story. It's not really. Is, is there anything crazy about these band of actors that you go around with that you guys do? 
Now, sometimes some of the groups of actors and sometimes certain actors, um, you know, will get into trouble in different ways. Uh, usually their, their party lifestyle sometimes. Um, and you just sometimes don't expect it from certain guests. Like, I never thought that person was into a lot of strip clubs or something like that. <laughs> or, you know, like, what? Friggin' Ming Chen. Yeah. Why do we have to gather bail money for who now? Um, <laughs> but it's that type of stuff that you'll hear later on. Like, oh, my God, so-and-so started a fight at the hotel bar. Or someone tried to pick a fight with so-and-so. Or, or something of the nature of, like, did you see this hooker that came in? And she was totally a hooker. It was that type of thing. And uh, it's those type of, those are far and few between, but when they happen, it's like, oh, really? Um, but we have fun as well. Like we'll do karaoke or something like that. And someone that you least expect will get up and kill it in karaoke. And you were like, I didn't even know this person even sang. I could see that. Ben and I at Comic-Con went out. We were out to like 2 a.m. It was the night after. We actually, we saw you at that one party. It was the after party or whatever. And we left there. We went somewhere else. And we saw another one of the uh, the guests. I'm not going to drop her name, but we saw her on the dance floor getting down pretty busy, and we were <laughs> pretty stunned at what we saw. Yeah, so I can only yeah, imagine. You want to let loose when you're sitting in that booth all day. Yeah, you want to let loose. I I bet. I'm here. I Don't worry. I'm just eating. All right. <laughs> um, to know one particular story from the road that you could share with us about something, you can leave names out. Uh, one. Uh, you know. There's this one guest who kind of gets in trouble a bit, and uh, that that guest never seems to get that 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 their shit together, and uh, eventually you always see it wind up in in the press and stuff like that. And so there was an encounter where me and a friend of mine, who's another celebrity guest, we're in an elevator, we're going up to uh, our floor. This person comes in from the lobby, headphones on, mumbling to themselves. Don't know, you know, we're trying to ask the person, where would you like to go? Like, what floor? And then they didn't, they kind of mumbled and say nothing. We were like, okay. We press our floor. As we're waiting, this person punches the wall of the elevator. And we're both like looking at each other like, what is this about? <laughs> we get off our floor or, or the, the person who's with me gets off on their floor. This guest who's having an issue follows that person and i'm like huh? oh man saw the person go into their room the other person who's having an issue not finding their room my the, i go up to my floor i go to bed all is fine we go down to the convention floor the next day that person isn't at their booth um we're wondering what happened to that person my friend who got off at the earlier floor begins to tell me that that person started to bang on other people's doors asking them to let that person in to the point where they called hotel security on that person. And then that person kind of argued with them and pushed that security person, which then they, they called the local police and then they got arrested. They had been arrested earlier in the day for public (laughs) intoxication out in the town. So they got arrested twice in one night and eventually showed up at the table. But it's those type of things. And, and, you know, and then there's other things. There's like a very well-known person in the, in, the, in the entertainment world who's very good at, um, at defending themselves, is known for their, their ability to defend themselves, and people trying to pick fighting fights with them where, we, where it's <laughs> just Cove? literally – you're literally <laughs> watching someone getting their clock cleaning. Like, 
and you in the you, you know you think of the the character name that they're more known for is like oh my god so and so is killing so and so it's pretty oh, tamac I'm, I'm not no names to be said but um, there's a lot there's a lot of that that goes on sometimes a lot of people try to test celebrities oh, sure. and, their, and their skill set and it's just like yeah that's that's not smooth yeah that's that's not smart I'm thinking yeah. this guy that gets into a lot of trouble simply huh? known as the Green Ranger. <laughs> 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 no comment. And I'm so glad you brought up Comic Con because we, I think we have to tell the story of how this whole interview with Brian O'Halloran actually happened. Because it's not, we didn't book Brian in a conventional way that we normally get our guests. So what had happened was weekend of Comic Con, oddly enough, actually my wedding anniversary. So, of course, where do you go for your wedding anniversary? You took my wife up to Comic Con. <laughs> Smooth. <laughs> So, and my wife had asked me over the weekend, you know, well, what do you want for our wedding anniversary? And I said, you know what? I want you to do something, well, a little out of your comfort zone. Oh, boy. I was, you know, <laughs> what I was. The backseat of a Volkswagen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I wasn't referring to is for her to accost Brian O'Halloran in the middle of Comic-Con. Because, and I'll tell you, this is the most uncharacteristic thing I've ever seen my wife do. In the whole, I mean, we've been together almost 20 years, and uh, this is probably the most out-of-character thing I've ever seen her do. And what happened was Mr. O'Halloran here was at the booth next to us, which was the Hard Rock Cafe, purchasing something. And as he's walking back to his booth, he walks in front of our booth. My wife jumps out from behind the table, puts her hand in his chest, and stops him and <laughs> says, Excuse me, my husband is a huge fan of your work. It's our wedding anniversary where you take a picture with us. So, uh, you know, and of course you were nice enough to let us come over and take a picture with you. And then I told you how we had uh, Marilyn Gigliotti on the show and well, right. that brings us up to where we are current, but now did that, she fulfill, did she fulfill the deal of me taking a photo with you? She, that, what do you mean? Fulfill the deal. I, I told her next time the two of you are in the heat of passion, she has to. <laughs> oh, you mean that deal? Well, <laughs> Let's just say I go by a new name around the house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mark had already soiled the photo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Well, speaking of other things in your honor. So this episode, I don't know if you heard it before when Mark did the intro, but we're going to tie this episode together with a segment we call the showdown. And this segment is going to be on the shittiest jobs. Okay. And. So just we'll start it off just with you right now. What was the worst job that you ever had? There was a there was a time where I was in between jobs, so I decided to. A friend of mine was a guy who arranged for guys to unload tractor trailers to at refrigerated warehouses. Their names were called lumpers. These guys literally would unload all these tractor trailers of usually like vegetables or whatever. And so this is like, I was like 20, 21, maybe. And so uh, I did that for like two months during the summer. Um, it was all just straight cash. And uh, you, you busted your ass unloading these trucks. Sometimes it was cool. The dock workers would allow you to do the forklift and use a forklift. But if you weren't a union member of that warehouse, you couldn't touch anything like that. You just unloaded everything. You unloaded pallet by pallet and repalletize stuff. So that was a, a ball breaking type of job. I mean, but I yeah, had jobs. Shitty. I was, I worked as a, um, 
in a, a fast food uh, chicken place for a number of years. Um, I worked for a supermarket chain for a number of years where I did pretty much every job that there is in a supermarket. When I left to go into acting, that was like the last full-time kind of job that I had, you know, where I went in, in punched the clock, got a check, that type of thing was that. So you worked retail for real before? Oh, no, yeah, I I totally worked retail for real. Um, I worked for the Keebler Cookie Company for a short two-month, three-month period for a summer um, as an account executive. I mean, so I, I dealing with customers, oh, I knew that job. It was very easy then once I got the role of Dante to know that frustration of being overeducated and underemployed, sitting, you know, at a counter and dealing with every backward ass fuck on the planet, as as Randall would say. <laughs> it's true that like when we do this later, I if retail has to be number one pick. I know there's worse jobs out there like manually masturbating animals and all of the other shit like that, but dude, retail is probably the worst. So we're all up to snuff on all the Vuesque movies that you've been in, and obviously you starred in Clerks. So there might be some favoritism towards Clerks. But that said, with all the Vuesque movies, what is your favorite one? You know, that's like asking a mother her favorite child. They're all very cool. Um, one of that that I only have a small role in. I, I've always loved Dogma. Yeah. I thought Dogma Excellent. was so deep and so really. I, I thought it was a really great. Uh, soul searching for Kevin. I mean, he grew up in a in an Irish Catholic family. I grew up in a very Irish Catholic family. So, knowing about questioning your faith and questioning different things, I thought it was a really a great right and a great um, piece of filmmaking that uh, I can watch at any time. And is one of the most expensive DVDs still out there. Like that's always something I like to do is have copies of the DVDs I've been in to eventually sell to um, fans. And even to this day, it's like 45 bucks for that DVD. Damn. I know. Yeah. I don't know what two copies. I don't know what thing. makes it so expensive, but I was just like, I sell it a lot cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you got that. You know, that was my favorite thing with dogma as well, was that, that element of self-examination much like you. I grew up in a Catholic household as well. Although we were a French Canadian Roman Catholic household, so I think a lot of the a lot of the same things probably still apply. Except that instead of just the priest drinking wine, the whole congregation was drinking wine. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not, not for religion. Preach <laughs> on. During that whole thing when they were protesting the movie, there was parts where like wasn't Kevin joining in on yep. these protests? Yep. Yeah, he did he did on Red State. <laughs> well, what was funny was a lot of people were there was that there's that group called the Catholic League by this O'Donnell yeah. guy in New York here who was protesting, who was literally a, uh, a an organization of one. Like literally, he was the only member, and he got all these people all agitated about, oh, you're bashing the Catholic Church, and because his followers aren't really at all fans of any of Kevin's work. It was very easy for Kevin to just mingle in with the crowd and never not any one of the protesters knew that this is the filmmaker right next to them. And <laughs> here he is. Awesome. So it was the best thing. I mean, uh, uh, Bob and Harvey Weinstein who made the film and then sold it to Lionsgate because they had to, because Disney had owned it by that point. Disney didn't want any of that, you know, Christian coalition backlash. So they sold it right. to Lionsgate. Um, but it was the type of thing where, you know, 
any publicity was good publicity at that point. And uh, it never really affected how the, how the film was received and or the box office. Uh, by that time, Kevin's fan base had, had grown quite a bit since the very first film. So, yeah. Right. And it's still, it's still watched from this day on. And, and I, like I said, I always enjoy it. It got me to meet my, one of my most all-time favorite comedians in the world, George Carlin. And uh, I will always treasure those moments working with him, and uh, and it's something that, I, and also getting to meet Alan Rickman as well. So very cool. It's those moments for that whole experience of dogma that I will take and live with. That is awesome. That's a that's a really good pick. I didn't see you going there. A lot of people, like you said, it's like picking their kid, or mm-hmm. they'll pick you know the movie that they starred in. So good on you for picking something that was a little bit outside the box, even though you were in it. But still, it's that's a great pick. Kevin, he writes and he directs all this stuff. And Dante's even supposedly based loosely upon Kevin's own life. You know, in spite of, of that, was he tough to work with or is he pretty easygoing? How does that all work out when uh, with the scripts and, and dialogue and stuff? Well, the greatest thing about working with Kevin, A, he's such a phenomenal writer that him, the work, once you get it in your hands, is pretty well fleshed out. There's really not a, a lot of need to, let's say, improvise or improve upon or expound anything that he's already written. He's already gone through it pretty well. And the one thing that is very good about him is he's amazing at dialogue. Um, he has, over the years, given more and more trust to us people who have worked with him for, well, I've worked with him, with him, obviously, since the beginning. So from doing from the first Clerks all the way up to doing, let's say, the last one, Clerks 2, or whatever we've worked on since, he's always been very good at giving us some room since. But in the beginning, it was like, no, the phrase <laughs> is this, 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 and this, and we'd take it again. And he, you know, or he'd hit an emphasis like, I'd love to see an emphasis on this part of this thing. Uh, right. Now he's very good at asking you the question as an actor to come to your own decision, which is more of a manipulation of a director manipulating their talent to get to the answer that he wants to get to no matter what he knows where he wants to take you, but to make you feel like you've discovered it, you feel more comfortable than in doing what he's asking you to do. Um, but in the beginning it was, it was very much, I'd say 98% of what was written was what was said in the first film, second film and so on. As it gone further along, he allowed some improvisation. Plus he was working now more with more established talent as he's moved on as a producer and director. So you know, when you're bringing people in now, like a Ben Affleck, or now you're bringing in, you know, a Seth Rogen or whoever, uh, you will, he, he allows them to have some range to move around. Right. And that, those are really dialogue heavy roles that you were in with him. Yeah. Well, I mean, everything that Kevin has written is very dialogue. Yeah. yeah so is, is. that, <laughs> we had, uh, who was it, Mark? Was it William Cat? we had this conversation with? Cause yeah. Cause he was also like, a you know, a big stage guy before that. And we were talking to him about like, how the fuck do you guys memorize all that shit? Are there cards around or do you just have to bash that into your brain? Because you guys recorded this over the course of like three weeks or something, right? Uh, what are you talking about? The first film Uh, clerks? Yeah. Clerks. Um, well we had a month of rehearsals. Now I, I, I started in stage, like you said beforehand. So when you learn to perform on stage, there are many different techniques about, how to remember your lines and stuff like that. Um, I do a lot of recording my lines on what used to be cassette tapes. Then I went to mini tapes. Then I went into MP3 players and then listening it back to me. I'm very, very good at remembering things 
hearing you. Like I'm very good at remembering songs and you know conversations. Uh, so that's how I remember it. And then when you get into the blocking process, the process of which you're interacting with other actors and moving in certain areas, then you relate. I will say this line as I'm moving to here, or me standing here will trigger her reaction. And and listening obviously to your fellow actor and paying attention. And if you know the script 100 percent. It's going to be natural what your response is to whatever they're going to say next. And so that's my process of trying to remember it all. And it, and it was a benefit, a huge benefit, especially for the dialogue and the way that Kevin writes. Because especially the scene where Dante and Veronica, are, or Caitlin rather, are in the uh, video store. And he's grilling her as like, why are you getting married? What is this I hear you getting yeah. That's seven minutes uncut, and it was the second thing that we filmed. Wow. Um, so, you know, Kevin couldn't spare money or the film to say, stop, cut, let's do it again, and try to tweak it just the way he wanted to. That's why we had a whole month of us going down to the store after all of us were done with our real jobs and rehearsing in the store at times or in, a, in the, the video store just to get the dialogue and the rhythm. He was very much wanting to hear how the rhythm of things were said. Because if you listen to Kevin's dialogue, there's a certain kind of rhythm and pattern and kind of speed. Sure. His very eclectic vocabulary likes to be to be said. And the connection that me and Jeff had, chemistry-wise, that was just something that just organically happened. And the way that Kevin wrote dialogue made it move as quickly as it was. It still amazes me that you guys can do that shit. Like People that think actors don't work, that's all practice. It's like being an athlete. It's just you guys... Just training and training. But then you can also get very big movie or television stars and then try to put them in front of a live audience and then they, they tighten up right. because they're so used to only knowing, well, I only need to know this much dialogue for this day because we're in the scene in the store. And then I could just, just memorize that, work on that. It's three paragraphs and I'm done. While on a play, you're doing the whole story all within two hours, three hours, whatever the play is. So there's a lot of times where film or television actors can't really make that leap into going into doing theater because they're not used to having long stretches. What play are you doing this year? I know you've said in the past that you try to do a play every year. What are you doing this year? Uh, this year I am not uh, actually. Really? Uh, the, yeah. It usually happens during the uh, end of July, August time, but the producer friend that I normally work with, they didn't, uh, they didn't have anything that they wanted to do this year. Uh, and the thing that they wanted to do, the space couldn't handle it, so right now they're. Oh. Um, uh, but there is a bunch of things that I'll be working on uh, that'll be coming up in August. So stay uh, stay tuned to my Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and I'll be making announcements soon. Absolutely, Marilyn told us the same thing that you guys did community theater together prior to Clerks. You ever think about how that whole sequence of events transpired? Like how maybe if you were at a different community theater, you know, you might have never had the opportunity to even be cast in Clerks. Look, I, I I missed the first night of auditions because I completely... Oh, forgot. no shit. Yeah. And it was the owner of the theater that the auditions were being held in who called me to say, hey, Brian, I thought you were coming down for this audition. I was like, oh, crap, because I was working at another <laughs> theater at that time. And I said, is it still going on? He goes, yeah, tonight's the last night. They need them, you know, and I said, what do they need again? They're like, they said, bring up a prepared monologue. And so that's what it was. So in effect, he reminding me that it was going on because he had called me a month earlier. To say, hey, these guys are going to be cast in this film. You're in the age bracket of a lot of the majority of the characters. You should come down and audition. So, uh, in a in a way, in a weird way, if that phone call was missed, uh, I probably wouldn't have been the uh, the Dante. 
Right. We wow. would not be talking right now. Yeah. He'd be, talking, <laughs> he'd be talking to Ernie O'Donnell. <laughs> Turned out to be the Rick Terrace. Yes. Oh, no it's shit. Ernie Anastas. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a very... <laughs> I've been an old ass Dante. <laughs> so you missed the whole first day of auditions. Yep. So you're saying it's very probable that at some point in time, somebody said, Brian O'Halloran, he was supposed to be here today. Yeah, that could have been. Yeah. It was He's the owner of that, that theater said it that night. I'm sure. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I hear it all the time. Oh God. So you, you had, and this is something I didn't know. So you had Dante Hicks, uh, Gil Hicks, Jim Hicks. I, I must have missed it along the way, but where did the Hicks name originate from? Was this like a guy, an asshole guy in high school with Kevin? Or like, where did that Hicks name I, come from? I don't know. That, that, is a, and that is definitely a Kevin question. I've never gotten an answer to that question. It, it, it's asked every once in a while, like, what's the relation with all the Hicks? And I say, I don't know. I, I guess it's up to the viewer's imagination to figure out to draw a flow chart of who they are. Um, we're going to be hopefully working on the uh, Jay and Silent Bob reboot in September. And I uh, approached Kevin. I saw him a couple of months back in uh, Lexington and said, wouldn't it be funny if we brought in all the Hicks at one point and let me portray multiple Hicks. And so oh, I like the idea. So hopefully I'll come back and play a few of those Hicks back again. That would be hilarious, man. That would be great. Going back to uh, Clerks and Clerks too. If you know, obviously, like Clerks was super low budget. You guys were all pretty new actors, which we just went over. And then you get to Clerks too, and now it's a multi million dollar budget with Rosario Dawson. What was it like to sit down and debate about ass to mouth with such an attractive woman right in front of you? Well, when we did the rehearsals, it was a good laugh. Yeah, joke about it and stuff. Um, and that was the greatest thing about working with Rosario is that she got that. She got the humor. She got the fact that, you know, the donkey show and everything else in this relationship that the Jay and Bob and the Dante and Randall characters have. So in that conversation, she made us all feel comfortable. Like we were kind of weirded out in the sense like, yes, here it is, this A-list actress um, who's absolutely stunning to begin with as well um was into the fact that this conversation and it's funny i remember at one point during after one of the one of the rehearsals kevin had asked her just out of curiosity why did you say yes to this project and she said honestly i wanted to see how you're going to do this donkey show and that's when we knew like yes, that's called, that's it. she has the same type of humor and the level of kind of uh, sickness that we have so it was that type of thing that she made us feel more comfortable instead of us trying to make her feel comfortable. So do you still believe you never go ass to mouth? Um, yeah, I kind of believe that. <laughs> <laughs> Sticking to ass to mouth. So you, uh, let's just list them here. So ass to mouth, sucking 37 dicks, racial slurs all over the place. And like in clerks too, uh, the pony show, like you mentioned, and then you getting gang raped and having blood all over your ass and the cold classic vulgar. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've had your share of, a lot of fucked up scenes. What was the most uncomfortable that you've ever been in one of these scenes that you've appeared in? Scared of my life. I, I was scared to death um, in Jay and Silent Bob. Uh, there's a flashback scene where uh, Jay starts going on a rant about the, the orangutan that he's going to try to kill us and take over the world like yes. Planet of the Apes. And right. so he has this kind of flat, this kind of dream sequence where 
Randall is running through the cornfield, hunted by the apes, like from the original, the opening scene of Planet of the Apes. I'm uh, the the, Rand, the Dante character is on a vivisection table where my skull is open and they're about to operate on my brain, which was real live chimpanzees that they had trained. With they could rip your face off. With these plastic instruments, and I'm literally strapped to that gurney. My head is strapped down. My wrists are strapped down. My legs are strapped down. And uh, they had poured, you know, they put this appliance on my head to make it look like my skull cap was removed and my brain was exposed. And then they pour this special effects stuff called super goo or, or slime goo or whatever it was, professional goo stuff, to make the brain look wet and gooey. And the chimps would start going to do it. And I'm like, what the hell? Because I knew, and this was before that. <laughs> And this was before that lady up in Connecticut who got her face yeah. ripped and eaten. Yeah. And stuff. This who looks normal, that, by the way, now. Right. This was before that incident even happened. But I remember telling the, the special effects guy, I said, and the makeup artist, look, if something goes down, I'm going to turtle up my hands because I know they go for fingers. But could you just, just cover my head or jump on my head or just cover my face? I don't want to lose my face if, this, <laughs> if something should go wrong. So action, we're going. The chimps are coming in with their things. And then the one chimp decides to touch the brain with his paw, his finger. And it's pulling back and it's trailing after him like webbing. Oh, and that's man. one thing that they freak out about. They don't like things that hang on to them or whatever. And he starts freaking out. And they're like, well, what's going on? And the, and the trainer and the wrangler is like, cut, cut, cut. Stop, stop, stop. We got to stop. Comes in, kind of soothes them. Pull them out. like, what it is. is and he explains, oh, they don't like things that stick to them. Or, you know, it, it's as if they're, it's, they're being captured or something. So they have to clear off the super goo. Now the thing looks really cheesy. And the, and the special effects guy's like, what the hell, man? This looks like shit. And so they're all, I hear them, hear them debating. And now they're, I only have the head movement of like just my eyes. I'm looking up. They're away from me. And I hear the conversation. And they don't know what to do. And finally I say, does somebody at craft services have honey? And the way <laughs> distance we, hear, we hear the craft services guy in the distance goes, yeah, I have honey. And so I was like, could we use that? And the trainer said, yeah, actually, honey would work. And even the special effects guy goes, yeah, actually, Holy the shit. honey color looks more bloody. That'll work. So we pour this honey on my head. We all reset. Everybody's Hang gone. on. Somebody's trying to call the guy. Pull on. Yeah, I was wondering, is he even supposed to be here today? <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Looking for the best threads on the internet? Look no further than smirks.net. Tees, hoodies, tanks, and hats for men and women. Ron Jeremy, Turbo from Breakin' and Breakin' 2 Electric Boogaloo, Vigo the Carpathian, and more. Find it all at smirks.net. Smirks.net. That's S-M-Y-R-X.net. Use the code PCEU for 15% off your order. Smirks.net. For the freshest and most dope shirts you'll find. Smirks.net. I'm sorry, Brian. So you're talking about the honey was where you were at. So we're so we're ready to go. They set everything up. Action. They're moving the chimps in. Once again, the one's trying to cut a piece of my brain. The other one. Now the sweet smell of the honey has the attraction of this one chimp. And he's leaning in and he's leaning in. And I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. What's going on? Next thing I know, I see his mouth open. I'm like, oh, he's oh. off. There we go. And he does this huge lick off the top of my skull because it's oh. funny. And then after that, that's when Kevin goes, cut. Perfect. That was awesome. <laughs> and so that was the end of that. So that was the scary. That was the scariest moment of my life doing any filming at all. It was, wow. was yeah, it's pretty uncontrollable. Was there anything that ever like just was left on the cutting room floor? 
that we might not have seen that was pretty fucked up in any of these movies? Um, anything that was fucked up? No, I mean, a lot of the stuff from Vulgar made it into the film Vulgar, which is a very dark, twisted film. Oh, yeah. Which uh, Brian Johnson's look at is in the process of writing a sequel to. Um, oh, no shit. Yeah, yeah. I and just that- watched it again last night. I rented it on Amazon so I can get a, a fresh look because it had been probably a dozen years since i saw that movie and is that the rated r cut or the theatrical unrated cut uh it must what's the difference there is scenes cut out of the rated r cut because well you still get gang raped you're yeah that part is still there i'm sure uh what's like the worst scene that might not be in the theatrical i've I've never done a side by side but i know there's like 12 minutes cut out i think it was an hour and 24 minutes okay so i'm not sure which uh, one it was Thinking of thinking about about anything else now that everything you've seen, I mean, there was a scene that we shot entirely where Jeff character Randall in the first clerks meets the ultimate clerk, uh, this really super nice video clerk who's helping him find videos like the anti Randall. And that whole scene got completely lost because the film can the mag that held the film on the camera had a slight crack in it and light oh. exposed the entire reel of film of that whole oh, scene sucks. And they didn't know that they didn't shoot that scene until they got the film back. And I was like, what happened? Where's this whole section? They said, yeah, you sent us this whole reel of exposed film. So we didn't print it because there was nothing on it. And they were like, Oh no. And it was the scene where Randall meets his perfect nemesis. So that was a whole night gone. Wow. That sucks. Yeah. Tell us, uh, is, is there anything you could tell us about vulgar too? Uh, not that I know of. I mean, he gave me a premise as to what it's about. It does obviously take place, uh, 15, 20 years later. Um, my character is still around obviously. And some other things are going on. I mean, obviously a lot of the characters, I'm not going to do a spoiler alert, but there's reasons that characters from the first one can't return to the second one. Um, so, uh, you're seeing where this, where this character, Will Carlson is 15, 20 years later from where we last left him. And some other kind of craziness comes up um, that uh, brings vulgar back, so to speak. Now, what was the story? I heard this a long time ago. The clown from vulgar is actually from like view askew or somehow, right? Well, if, you're, like, if you remember the beginning of the very first clerks, there's that animation that comes on where this clown right, with the clown. With the yeah. yeah. So that was an anim- piece of animation done by Walt Flanagan, uh, just as some sort of intro to Kevin's company, view askew productions. And one day, Brian Johnson's sitting in Kevin's office, and he sees the big poster of Clerks with that clown face logo in the lower corner of the poster, because that was the logo of Kevin's VSQ Productions. And just Brian Johnson asking Kevin, what do you think that guy's life story would be about? And Kevin just going, I don't know, why don't you write a script about it? And that started it off. All right. Well, I knew it had something. something I couldn't remember. Unfortunately, you saw the rated R version. Oh, yeah. Okay. Shit. Now I'm gonna have to go rent it. Find another <laughs> one and rent it. God damn it. Don't rent it, just go buy it. Just buy it. They do sell it on Amazon, so go buy it. I, I have over a thousand DVDs. It's just I don't have them all uh I just started putting them all into an app so I know what I have. But it's so hard. They're not in alphabetical order because I moved them. It's like a pain in the ass. I don't think I have that though, but yeah, I would definitely like to add that to my collection. Uh, but speaking of like fucked up scenes, so another scene, the original ending of Clerks, Dante gets killed. Was that a pretty uncomfortable thing going? Because you guys filmed that, and yeah, then I, when got I cut. read it, when I first read that part of the script, I didn't like it. Uh, I came back to Kevin saying, "Like, do we really need to kill the guy off? I mean, 
I get it. I mean, he was like, well, look, think of it. How ironic is it and how serious this happens to these guys every day. The threat right. of being killed at the end. There it is, you know. The guy, the, the irony of this poor guy wasn't even supposed to be there that, that time of night and he gets killed. I'm like, okay, I, I really don't, you know, think it's necessary, but all right. And, you know, eventually when we had a screening of it, our first screening of it at the uh, independent feature film market in New York City of October of 93, um, it was seen by one man, Bob Hawk, who was involved in getting films to film festivals and introduced to producers, who then introduced Kevin to John Pearson who was a producer's rep, uh, who repped people like Spike Lee and, uh, and quite a few other people who kind of recommended to him, like, you need to cut that scene. I think the ending needs to end right when the store closes because all you're going to do is you're going to piss off the audience at you because here was a comedy and now it ends on such a, a down note. And yes, life is a series of down endings. But, right, and that's a really uh, down <laughs> That's a really shitty, shitty down <laughs> Um, let's keep it just a straight comedy. You'd be more successful as a straight comedy. And so he, he listened to the advice of John Pearson and thank God he did because we were able to go on to do other, you know, other sequels to it and other different. Yeah. Movies. Yeah. We'd no shit. Handle and Jay and Bob. And so, uh, there you have it. Yeah. Yeah. And I always thought that the original ending kind of got spoiled mostly because of you. Uh, I think with any other actor, probably in that role, you really had a way of developing a level of charisma to the character of Dante that by the end of the film, everyone's so emotionally involved with the character because of your portrayal of it. You really made it so he's easily identifiable to most people. So I think with maybe with another actor, that ending would have been would have fit because people wouldn't have cared about the character as much. But because of the work you did, it was right. appropriate to cut it. I hear you. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome. Mar we said the same thing to Marilyn that that scene. Yes. And it, the scene was the 37 dicks. It's hilarious. But at the same time, you guys sold it so well that it was a punch in the gut to any guy that ever had a girl cheat on him. Right. Yeah. And it was at that point in the movie, everyone was kind of like, all right, well, this, this is the good guy. You know, obviously other things happen after that. But right there, it was like, you know, this guy is a good guy. This shit really happens to people. Uh, mm -hmm. But you made a good point two seconds ago when you said that if you you were killed off, you know, you guys wouldn't have other stuff. And you had Clerks, the animated series, uh, you know, ABC. They only played two episodes of this and they vanished. And I suppose like shit like Flintstones list or maybe the uh, the thing about the painter and the threesomes or maybe that was it wasn't wholesome enough for Disney. Like what, yeah, what the it, fuck it, happened it was, there? It had nothing to do really with the content of what we did. Um, it was really, by the time we recorded the six episodes we were contracted to do and got them to air, which were nine months later, and that was the process it took to animate it all. Because Jesus. the master artists at Disney in California did the master art, and then every movement art was sent to the Korean facility. And so it took nine months because they have to lip sync what we recorded because you record the dialogue first, and then they animate now it's it's extremely this was back in 2000 now it's very easily done through computer animation there's still a lot of hand-drawn cell animation out there um but in that nine month period of time abc which had absolutely crap as their lineup uh starts to get do. really really huge success with who wants to be a millionaire millionaire uh, used to be on sunday nights then it was right. sunday and friday nights then it was monday after you know evenings after jeopardy then it was like now it was four times a week. Then finally, it literally was on like seven days a week. 
And yeah. during the time, uh, ABC wanted to cut what they didn't think they deemed that they wanted to continue with. And we were, unfortunately, the victims of that. And we tried, you know, they tried to say, well, why don't you take it somewhere else? At the time, they were it was costing $250,000 per episode to make, which is wow. an unheard of cost for a cartoon show. And so no one else wanted to pick it up like a, a Comedy Central or a Cartoon Network, uh, which had very small budgets on their own to begin with. So that's something that I've always said to Kevin, like, you know, I wish we could do again. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, because eventually we will physically become un, uh, unattractive to look at on real film. So we will always still have our voices, though. So why not? So we'll see. Right. And worst case scenario, you guys could have Stark do it just like he did with Groovy Movie. Correct, which was a lot of fun doing that as well. Yeah. That's the thing is Disney owns the style that was the Clerks animated series. They right. own the style. But Stark doing this super groovy movie, that was a lot of fun. And, and he did it all himself. And uh, it was done quite, you know, handed to Jay, man. Jay and his wife produced that whole thing. And they did a, a really bang up job in such a short period of time. They did. Can you, can you imagine, though, some of the lines that would have not flown today that were in that show? There were, I don't know if it was episode I, I seen all the episodes at one point, but there was one episode where the guy comes to the counter and he's like an English guy and he asks you guys for a pack of fags. Right, right. And, and Randall's like, No, you're a fag, and then they get into a fight. Like that would never fly today. Oh, I think it would I, I think it would still fly. It just uh, it would, it it would get some slack. On, it would not fly on ABC Network. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's, no, right. It, it it could fly on a Cartoon Network. It could fly on a Comedy Central. You could even fly on a TBS or even a TNT type of thing. Um, but it would not fly on one of the three major. No, definitely not. Like not Lando, the token black guy that, yeah, came, that came out one episode. That whole series is great. Yeah. I, I asked Mark if he saw this today. Did you ever see the Clerks pilot that was made for TV? Oh, yeah. I actually auditioned for that uh, show when they were first thinking about doing it. And uh, it was weird because here was the I had called Kevin going, hey, Kevin, are you? In, I was in L.A. at the time. I was interviewing with with agents, uh, you know, talent agents. And this one talent agent was like, well, you're going to go in as I was interviewing with him. He goes, well, obviously, you're going to go in to audition for the Clerks TV show. Right. I was like, say what now? They're like, oh, the <laughs> The Warner Brothers lot is doing uh, a Clerks TV show. Do you know the producer, Don Rio? And Don Rio has done almost every hit comedy sitcom. This is before he became huge, but now he's been known to be one of the big producers of a lot of hit sitcoms. So I called up Kevin's office back in Jersey. Hey, do you know about this Clerks TV show that's going on? He, and he didn't even know that was going on. So what happened was Don Rio bought the rights to do the TV series from Miramax Miramax leased them the rights to do a, a pilot. And uh, Kevin called, found out who, I said, this guy, Don Rio's involved. He found, got his agent to call the Don Rio people, signed on to be an executive producer, saw how bad that this script was and that their production value was similar to um, Saved by the Bell type of yeah. sets. Yeah, yep. Where instead of like a convenience store, video store, it was like a convenience store with an ice cream shop next to it. It was, yeah, a strip it was a mall. It was a bodega. And the whole idea <laughs> was, was completely flipped. Instead of the clerks making fun of the customers, it was more of the customers making fun of the clerks. It was right. really badly done. And it was so funny, you know, because you had some pretty well-known names in in the yeah. series, too. You had uh, 
the girl from Felicity. Yeah, was, and she was really hot then too. That was Carrie Russell. Carrie yeah. Strug, who's now on, um, or Carrie Russell rather, uh, she's run now on the Americans. And then yep. you had um, the stand-up comic and SNL alumni, um, Jim, Jim Brewer. Brewer. Jim Brewer yep. playing the Randall character. Um, and so it was just weird seeing it because I didn't see it. Obviously, I didn't get cast. None of the people who auditioned for it, because I think Jeff Anderson also auditioned for it. I know Marilyn Gigliotti. I think Marilyn Gigliotti did. I'm not sure. Um, but Kevin pulled out of that project. Like He was on it for a week, and then he's like, uh, I'm totally out. And he refrained them from using the Jay and Silent Bob characters. Um, so, uh, yes. <laughs> yes was Months good. later, we got to see the pilot. The pilot was sent to Kevin's office. I was there visiting or whatever. He's like, oh, dude, you got to see this this load of crap. And we watched this, this abortion of a, uh, a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> it was just terrible. It was just so, I feel bad. I feel bad for the cast members because they were just doing what they were given. You know, they were right. working on with what they were given, but they totally just didn't get the concept of what clerks was about. No, no because it had if, no authenticity to it. Yeah. No. Cause if they truly would have got it, they would have hired Kevin to write it. Right. That's, I mean, that's the whole or premise. Just, was, or just take the cast, the cast who was a part of it, and hone it into a series. You know what I mean? If they wanted right. to use higher talented people, whatever. But um, at the same time, if you want the essence of it, at least get the person who wrote the original. Right. 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 You're Don't not going to make an script. Aaron Sorkin movie into a TV show and then not have Aaron Sorkin write it. Right. That's it's not like, going to be the same. That's like seeing these TV series now that are coming out, like Rush Hour, and yes. all these based on the original movies, like Lethal Weapon. And I go, really? Have we really run out of you know <laughs> stories to tell? Really? Yep. Yeah, we have. <laughs> hey, you know what? Lethal Weapon wasn't that bad. I actually that was the one show, only because I like the Wayne's Brothers, so I I kind of dug the show a little bit. Had some bad episodes, but it wasn't like you just had to watch that one, just not as Lethal Weapon and just as a buddy cop show. Right, but right. they shouldn't have named it Lethal Weapon. Correct. They just, if they just named yeah. it something, it would have been fine. Yeah. Yeah. They just, as a launching pad, they used the name, which was shitty. Speaking of other shitty things. So earlier this year, you had Clerks 3 finally got scratched. You know, after several years of delays, you know, we spoke to Marilyn about this too. Did you get the feeling that this was going to happen? Um, I always held hope that uh, we that a solution could be found. Um mm-hmm. And uh, just recently, a couple of months ago, I was up in Niagara Falls where Kevin was up there as well for a Comic-Con. And I got a good half hour, 40 minutes to talk with him one-on-one. And uh, knowing how things fleshed out, um, it's sad that it, it came to the fact that we had to scrap it. it it'd, it'd be nice to, to see it come back to, uh, to somehow bring it back to the table again. Um, but what he's doing with the Jay and Silent Bob reboot and taking a, a good portion of what was going to be in the Clerks 3 series uh, sequel uh, and put it involved in the, the Jay and Bob reboot, it should satisfy everybody's need for you know that, that type of thing. Um, is it something that could eventually come back to the table? I have no idea. Uh, the other parties that are involved, um, if that can come to some some weird agreement and kumbaya moment. I don't know, but we'll see. Now I know obviously you, you get fined a gazillion dollars if you divulged anything about the movie. So I'm not even going to bother asking you. Sure. Uh, but what, like how did this fall well, apart? What's the plot? 
<laughs> no, I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna bother asking you about these that. These two like, guys that own a convenience store. <laughs> how, how did the whole thing just fall? Because it's such a loved series. Is it like one person? Is is it kind of like you said, like kumbaya type thing? Like people just don't get along. What is it? Is it money? Yeah, what it, is it, the story? It, it came down to it. Just it just came down to business reasons. It came down to business uh, contracts and logistics of contracts and stuff like that. Um, stuff that was out of my, out of my hands, out of a lot of people's hands. Um, it was mishandled uh, at, at, by one party uh, who had not been a part of the whole series for many, many years. Um, and so that mishandling kind of ruffled the feathers of some people who had been around for many years. Um, and so it became uh, a situation that ran out of control. And by that time, some bridges were burned by it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like listening to one of the, um, behind the music kind of band stories where, well, so-and-so wanted to do the album this way, but I was not part of that album and I didn't say it's the wrong direction we're going, man. And then, so so we just put the band up, man. We just, it's just not my gig, you know? You know, it's that kind of, it'd be like that kind of thing. You know what I mean? So until we make the Jay and Silent Bob reboot, and I'm sure then there'll be a behind the scenes commentary track on that. And you'll see things that'll be filmed in this film that you go, wow, that would have been funny. That kind of, that would have been funny if this was a Dante Randall thing. And you'll see that it's more of a Jay and Bob thing. You know, that type of thing. Right. Would you right. like to be involved with Moose Jaws when that gets underway? Um, I, I would like to do anything that, and I've said this numerous times, anything that Kevin wants to do, I would love to be a part of. If he said, look, I want to direct a film about a guy waiting on the subway platform and a train, and, and that's it. I'd be like, I'm there. You know what I mean? Like, right. Whatever it is he wants to do, I'm like, I know you're going to write really great, funny, hilarious shit. I'll be there. So... Um, if he wants me to be a part of Moose Jaws, more than happy to do it. Uh, I love Canada. Uh, every time I go up there, the people are always great. Um, and they have a phenomenal leader right now. So it's nice to have a refreshing take on that. Amen uh, to that. And so, uh, <laughs> so I wouldn't mind doing a little Moose Jaws stuff myself. And I heard you talking a lot about this in the past couple of years and with the whole Mall Rat sequel, which Mall Brats, uh, which you're also supposed to be involved in. And that also got shelved. And Kevin, Kevin's put out amazing things and he's got a really good following. Like we've been talking about, you know, like the whole cast of all of you guys, you're all loved. You all come back for all these movies in the midst of all the utter garbage and dumpster fires and reboots that are coming to TV, like Roseanne and Will and Grace and shit. That's just getting pulled back. back. Yes. Roseanne is coming back, but I don't see that becoming a dumpster fire. I think that's well. Where? But I'm, my point there is just oh. they're just re, rehashing old shit instead of creating new stuff. Right? Did he did he piss someone off along the way? Like, why does shit like this keep happening to him? Because I feel like these series can do well on like maybe not like an ABC or whatever, but like if you put it on like a Netflix or Hulu or whatever, Amazon, that's fucking well, awesome. Here's like, here's the thing. He had, uh, from what I've been told. He had wrote a 10 episode miniseries for the Mall Rats sequel because mm-hmm. Universal Studios, who owns the rights to the Mall Rats, Mall product, Rats right. said to Kevin, uh, when Kevin's like, I want to make a sequel, like he just wanted to make a straight up sequel. They said, we're not going to issue the right to do a sequel. We're not interested. 
in a sequel to the movie. If you want to do a television series, we'll, we'll, we'll entertain the thought. So we wrote this 10 episode thing, uh, episode series, pitched it to multiple outlets like the Netflixes and the Hulus and, and the WB and the CW and all this other stuff. And no one as of yet in those executive decision-making positions of any of these networks and streaming services has said yes to it. Now, the thing about TV series when pitching, sometimes it needs multiple rounds of many times of pitching. And sometimes it can be done yet the next pilot season. And sometimes it'll sit in someone's office and go like, remember that pitch that Kevin Smith came in here last year with? And someone will be like, yeah, you know what? Maybe now's the time we should bring it in. So you never know. Those type of pitches can come back at some point and get made. Um, so I never – the mall brats thing is out of Kevin's control. I mean uh-huh. we weren't born as sons of rich Saudi princes who have a billion <laughs> right. dollars to go, you run off and do what you want to do. Here's $20 billion. You know what I mean? We don't have the type of money or the network to just put up whatever we want because Kevin – you know, the, the outlet that Kevin has for that is his podcasting. And his live shows with Jay and and the Hollywood Babylon, things like that. That's his creative outlet that he can do immediately without having to run it by anyone. You know what I mean? Right. right. Uh, meantime, when you have to deal with networks or streaming corporates and the corporate types who have other ideas of what their image, what they want on their airwaves or or on, in their stockpile of films, it's different. You know, and until someone as kooky of us go like, I absolutely want to see more Brad's. As a matter of fact, I think it should be not just 10 episodes. It should be five years of episodes. And until someone is as kooky enough as that to do and say yes, we'll see what happens. It's such bullshit because didn't the Catch Me Outside girl just get a fucking reality series <laughs> on some goddamn channel? <laughs> what the fuck? Look, Poop man, culture. Look, look, man, we, you know, <laughs> we have a reality TV star as our president right now. So come on. Yeah, <laughs> this think is, this anything is true. can happen. This is true. All right. Last, last question. And this sure. kind of based off of something you just said. So like you said, mall rats is our universal owns the rights to mall rats. Correct. And you know, it seems bizarre to people that don't know how this stuff really goes, but it has to suck when somebody puts their heart and soul into something and somebody else owns the rights. Like, like Miramax had uh, like clerks and they sold it off to do the TV show and stuff. And then speaking of sucking on top of that, Marilyn told us that when you guys did clerks, you, it was like non-union. So you guys don't get any residual. You get nothing from this at all. Anything. It's it's completely non-union. It was everybody's first time of doing film. So with no money in the budget, except for the pay for the camera rental, the what three or four lights that we had and uh, the sound, you know, uh, dat machine, well, not even a dat machine, um, a recorder, uh, it, it, it was just not in the budget. We all signed waivers to be what's called a deferred payment. If the film gets sold, you will get paid as if it was a union rate, weekly rate or day rate of whatever you did. And that was pretty much it. Uh, no one thought, and back at the time too, the dealing with set the Screen Actors Guild and getting a contract, you had to have a certain amount of money to even just get the, the, the signator of being protected by SAG. So even then, we weren't even union members then, which I don't think we would even be entitled to, even if it was a union movie. It's kind of weird in that sense. So um, Kevin did write, though, once the film got sold, we all got paid. We all got a flat check to for what the for what we had done. 
But yes, as far as residuals go, we do not get royalty checks. From Mallrats on is where I start getting my my royalty checks. From. Nice. Yeah. Rolling rolling in the the cash cow yeah, with the. I, <laughs> I literally can you see that at all on camera? No, I can't. We can't. We haven't seen you this whole time. Oh, geez, I thought you did. <laughs> Just your face. <laughs> yeah, all we right. see. Oh, there he is. Now he's, I see his things. Right. There it is. It was one of my recent royalty checks. Oh, what does that say? Thir- oh, six cents. Baller. Yeah, buddy. Wow. Nice. Somebody nice. mailed you a paper check for that. <laughs> the stamp costs more than the actual. <laughs> wow. You know, the stamp costs like seven, what, six times more? Than- if it's 49 cents for a first class mail stamp or whatever <laughs> it is these days. And that's a six cent stamp. That's a royalty check. So that's a mall rats check, by the way. So there's, that is awesome. there's, there's where the big money is not. See, that's what I need here in the in the man cave studio is a Brian O'Halloran royalty check from yeah. uh, Mark. I sell those. <laughs> it's probably like get more than stock. the six cents for them. I, I, I should make a really good laser copy of it and then just sell them. Here, you want a yeah. royalty check? Just yeah. black yeah. out all the information <laughs> that yeah, they, all the banks soon have at conventions. Just at, sign on at the, the back next of those. I'm almost <laughs> not to not to cash it just to drive the accountant who works that account. Like, where is that six cents? I don't have a balance. How does that, <laughs> that you should hold them all to the max. What is the max date? Like 90 days to cash it. Yeah. yeah you should wait till like the 89th day. Just get <laughs> cash. It and then. don't just deposit in an ATM. Give it to a cashier. Like the, the teller <laughs> like, right, to deposit this and her just go, how would you like this? <laughs> Can, can I get, get one six nickel? pennies? <laughs> is this a typo? Was this supposed to be 600? No, no. That is correct. Six cents. What you got to do is take it to one of those uh, those fast loan places where they <laughs> want to see your pay stubs and paychecks. Right. And then they take a percentage out. Right. Here you go, sir. Here's your four cents. Now, when we had Marilyn on, one of the interesting things that she had told us was her original script from clerk she no longer has yeah and, she sold it yeah. yeah and she said that she's been she's been trying to get it back all these years and uh she was never able to get a hold of kevin to get it back do you still have yours oh yeah i totally have mine excellent <laughs> he's like of course <laughs> who would get rid of their script to clerk i have everything i have the clothes i wore i mean kevin had asked me to give him my clothes so he could frame it and keep it in his store and i was like right. I, I like it myself <laughs> I kept my own clothes because it was all around. Kill you? He wanted to take your clothes. Yeah, we, and he you. still would be in anything he wants to do. <laughs> what a friend! <laughs> so uh, I still have I still have the clothes that I wore. But yeah, I kept my scripts. I mean, I even have a script that'll never be made: the Clerks Three script. Um, so yeah, uh, it's the type of stuff that I like to hang on to. Yeah, feel yeah. free to forward that to us for review purposes for later on. Yeah, you've got $4 million at your... Yeah. <laughs> I have to pay $3 million for the non-disclosure penalty. Right. I need at least a million because I'll never work again after that. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Brian, what's the story with uh, the what, the O'Halloran podcast? The O'Halloran is my podcast that I've been working on. I have about 14 episodes banked. Um, I'm going to be releasing it very soon. A lot of it was going to be tied to the fact of releasing other things like Clerks 3 and the Mulrad series and stuff like that. And every time that got pushed back, I was like, well, let me push the release of the, the podcasting thing. And so it'll be funny because I'll release them probably in batches of three or I'll do what's called the best of series where it was just I'll release old podcasts that have nothing to do with anything anymore, but I'll call it the best of. And people are like, 
but when was it air? when did this air and it never <laughs> but it's still the it's best. just best of yeah. right so that is coming though yeah yeah no, that is coming i'm going to be down in uh, north carolina and florida and uh, i'm working on another project where the o'halloran will be a part of as well and uh, so i'm doing some research while i'm at these two other cons and it'll be a lot of fun right. is that show going to be on kevin's network or are you yeah doing i hope yeah, I hope to partner up with uh, the Smodcast people and uh, get it that way. It's just because it's such a built-in audience at that point. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yep. All right. Well, do you have uh, you have anything uh, you want to plug and stuff on the way out? Anything that you're working on? Um, nothing that I'm working on at this very moment. Um, I do have a couple of projects that are coming up. Um, uh, Amazon Prime uh, holders, there's a series called Fireball Run Adventure Rally which is a um, it's in its 10th season was their 10th season last year but the 10th season doesn't air until this September uh, it's a road rally course kind of like the incredible uh, the amazing race but it's um, 2008 days 2,000 miles 40 teams each team sponsors a missing child from the area that they're from uh, but you have tasks and rewards where you do amazing uh, usually epic adventures that you're not allowed to have otherwise. Like we got to hold on to Lincoln's glasses he was wearing uh, when he got killed at, you know, assassinated. We got to see the flag that was held over Gettysburg, all sorts of historical and really cool stuff. I got to drive a World War One tank oh, nice. uh, after convening sciences. So season nine is airing right now on Amazon and then Amazon uh, season 10. I'll be on. I shoot the next season of that in September which will air the following spring. So look for that. Um, follow me on my Twitter or Instagram account, which is Brian C. O'Halloran. C as in Christopher, Brian C. O'Halloran at both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, O'Halloran hopefully will come out in, uh, probably by the fall. Um, and then uh, I have a, f- a movie that just came out that I make a cameo in called Bad Frank uh, with Tom Sizemore. It's a really right. tense mob movie. Um, and then... Uh, I did two weeks shooting with Jason Mewes on his first film that he's directed called Madness and the Method, which is a huge uh, cameo-filled kind of adventure, kind of action movie. Um, That'll be coming out uh, hopefully by this fall, I've been told. Uh, And then I have uh, the Jay and Silent Bob reboot. We start shooting starting in New Jersey, I've been told, uh, in September. And then the movie goes cross-country again, so look for that. I'm sure anybody who follows Kevin will see more information about that. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been totally insightful and uh, it was awesome, dude. Eric, Ben, I couldn't get in a word edgewise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I just kind of took a back seat. That's okay. And they just like to stare. (laughs) I do. You know what? I was actually just waiting for the walls to bleed. Uh, ben just likes like it in the back seat. Yeah, you you got to stick to weed and get off that meth if the wall starts leaking. <laughs> right. it, it, yeah, it's a lot of LSD. I can't help it. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you guys. I'll definitely Thanks. be back anytime. Thanks so much for coming on. Message as always, and uh, hopefully we'll see you guys again real soon. Uh, by the way, I'll, I will be at Rhode Island Comic Con in November. We're uh, trying to get a table oh, there too. Yeah. So hopefully we'll That'd see you guys. Awesome. Maybe. We'll do an update as to how the shooting of the J.M. Bob reboot went. Awesome. Yeah, let's do it. See you then, guys.